Matthew 28. Um, just a full-on confession. I've this is going to sound like a weird flex, but we're family. Like, I baptized like dozens and dozens and dozens of people in my life. Uh, never have I ever forgotten, this is a never have I ever game, uh, to say I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but while you guys were all looking at Kenzie, I realized like I was about to go down, like to baptize her, and I hadn't said I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So like, it's kind of a big deal. It's in Matthew 28. That's kind of the formula. And uh, so Kenzie, it still counts. I got it in. Um, but I was like, man. Um, hopefully when some of you get to baptize your children, you forget the words too because it's just a powerful and beautiful moment of celebrating God's grace in someone else's life. Uh, whether that is your uh, child or it's a child in the faith, there's something powerful and beautiful that happens as we're able to participate in the work that God's doing in someone else. There's just a real beauty to that. Um, so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. I know you guys probably didn't see that coming uh, when you drove in today, uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 28 for this reading. Uh, let me read this, and then I'm going to ask you a question, uh, and the question is going to be, what is Easter like? Like, what is the resurrection like? If you had to compare it to something, uh, consider this an assignment. You have homework over the next few minutes. Uh, think of a comparison for the resurrection. Um, Jesus did this all the time, right? He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that goes into the ground, and when it bears fruit, it has branches. It's right, this tiny seed, and then it grows up, and it has branches where animals can make their nests and the birds can hang out. It's a place of rest, and it's a place of shelter for many. Or the kingdom of God, right? It's like this pearl of great price that's found in a field, and the guy finds it, he buries it, goes off, sells everything he has, and comes back and buys that land and just rejoices that he has it. He has all these stories where the kingdom of God is like. Tonight, we're going to do the resurrection is like, and uh, you're going to get to come up with some of those things. But let me read the first part of this. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Boss mode. He, uh, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Past tense. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Then he came, they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the event that we call the resurrection. Jesus, who was crucified just three days later, really dead, uh, no pulse, flat line, like he was gone. This isn't a mirage or an image. They, they grasp his feet and can feel him. They hear his voice. This is the same Jesus who was dead is now alive again in what is called the resurrection. So if you had to come up with something that this event, if a comparison, so to speak, a parable like Jesus would tell. Uh, you all just heard the story 
Um, I'm going to turn you to a few people around you and just come up with maybe in two minutes, one of you come up with, hey, the resurrection is kind of like this. Uh, if you freak out, you're like, whoa, 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 I didn't know I had to talk here. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, just look at somebody else in your group and they'll start talking. Peer pressure works that way. Somebody will break, I promise you. Uh, turn towards each other, though, and just some things. What is the resurrection like? Uh, it's like a victory in a battle. If you want to use that one, I just gave you one. Keep going. You guys can turn towards each other. Uh, what is the resurrection like? And then I'll pull you back together. Ready? Go. So another time over coffee at some point, I would love to hear all your answers. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, tonight we're not going to pass the mic around and let everybody share theirs. Uh, I heard some, I heard some speech about the Phoenix Suns, and uh, that ruined it because I'm not sure what else is going to take place. So... Um, just kidding. Uh, but hopefully that creativity helps to spark some stuff in your brain as you connect this momentous moment in all of world history uh, with something very ordinary. Uh, here's what I have, um, because I have the mic and the screen. So when I was thinking through it, I was trying to think through, all right, what is the resurrection like? And this is what I came up with. Have you guys ever heard of elephant toothpaste? So it's like this, right? So you, uh, you take these elements, you mix them together, and once they touch in that moment, there is nothing you can do to get that event back, right? That event takes place, and then there's a response that takes place, and the world or your kitchen is forever changed because this took place. There's nothing you can do, no amount of arguing or anything will erase this mess that is now there when these chemicals touch, um, and that's not just the only one. This one's just for fun because when you search for gifts of this, uh, maybe it's more like that. Not just a little reaction, but stick with me. The resurrection is like elephant toothpaste in that that response that takes place, what takes place in the world, will literally echo out and fill up every square inch of the universe one day. Right? We can move to the table right now, but we're not going to because I have a few more things to say. But when you think about it, that idea that the death and resurrection of Jesus, these moments in world history, when they took place, they were very real things. These weren't ideas. These weren't answers for a test. They weren't a religious way of approaching life that you may or may not want to accept. Uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus were very real events in history that demand us to do something with them. Much like that kitchen or that backyard, uh, unlike it, it didn't create a mess, but it did the exact opposite. If I was skilled enough, maybe I would have done it reverse. But beauty, justice, love pour out from that place and echo out. And our great hope as followers of Jesus is that one day it will fill up every square inch of God's created order. That this event echoes out throughout all time. A few things from the story as we read through it that just caught my attention this time. Uh, one thing is that in this story, uh, the beauty of Jesus uh, resurrecting this angel, right? It has, the earthquake is caused, the angel sits up on that rock, and it says that the soldiers catch this, these Roman soldiers, the, the, the armed mercenaries, the ones who were trained in warfare, who had seen it all, were just like dead men, right? They, they're in fear and they're unable to move. And then these women come, and the angel knows why they're there, right? They're searching for Jesus, and they have this conversation. And something I love is that they have this conversation with the angel, uh, kind of freaks them out, rightly so, um, and then keeps moving on. And as they're going, it says they're filled with two things. 
What does it say they're filled with? It's right there. They were afraid yet filled with joy, right? There was fear and there was joy. There was fear and there was joy. Uh, Two things that I think most of us can identify with. And so if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, or maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, uh, these things fill up the human hearts and usually in different moments. Here, they're together brought, and I think it's beautiful, because they're uncertain entirely of what had taken place. Like these events were fresh. They really just happened. They really just went to see the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer, the one that they had put their faith in, the one that they had just seen murdered in a tomb and he wasn't there. So there's a lot going on. But they're filled with fear. I don't know what this means, but also filled with joy and the hope and anticipation of what it could mean. And then they bump into Jesus on the way out of the garden, right? It says he just shows up. And, and I really wish that we had a voice for Jesus uh, and that would fill up that one word that it uses in the NIV, right? That word, greetings. Like, like I don't know, Jesus, <laughs> greetings. Um, I don't think that was the tone of Jesus in the garden, seeing his friends who had just been weeping, looking them in the eye, had just been with the Father. Like, he was there, he just resurrected, right? And he's not like, greetings, friends. Um, it's a word of endearment, of bringing them in and saying, oh, welcome, right? Like, here you are. I am returning. I am here with you and for you. Go get the rest of the family because we got to get together. I don't know what that voice sounded like, but I really wish there was a better translation than greetings. And then as he sends them out, he sends them out this way. Uh, He says, what are the last words on there? Don't be afraid, but you can be as joyful as you want to be. Right? He doesn't strip that part away. He says, hey, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I'm here. And if you take that original fear plus joy equals where these women were at, and you replace that now with you take out, this is math, sorry, Caden. Um, you take out that fear. You're left with just that joy at what Jesus has done. Joy that he had returned. Joy that these events had taken place. Joy that the Messiah, the master, the ruler, the king of all kings was now there with them. And the events of that day would compound their joy. I'm guaranteeing there's moments where they would face fear again, but those words of Jesus would forever echo in their mind when they faced those moments, when the mountains seemed like they were going to crash on them, that they could remember, I don't have to fear. Jesus is here. I can move forward in joy because I know these events took place. Uh, Three pieces of good news out of here, and I'm going to walk through them all pretty quickly. Uh, Some of these may not be brand new news for you. Some of them may be brand new news, and you can celebrate them here with us. Uh, The first piece of good news that we see in this story is that Jesus is the hero of the story. Uh, Not just the story of the resurrection, but it anchors itself back in a greater story. I've always, uh, I grew up in a family that uh, my parents were followers of Jesus. Uh, Before them, their parents were not. And so we got like all things church and all things Jesus from like age five and six on. Like, because they were fully immersed in that world and they were really excited. So I grew up from like five or six just assuming things about Jesus that many other people didn't assume because they weren't raised that way. They'd never heard that, right? When you start to see other adults and you're like, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? And they're like, hey, who? 
Like, I don't see how that story makes sense. I don't get it. Like, Easter right now, uh, the kids that we have in preschool, it's so far past being anything about Jesus. It was only about rabbits and eggs. And the kids woke up this morning really expecting, like, Christmas morning with rabbits and eggs uh, in the house. And they were really disappointed um, by the Platt family. Thankfully, the Durans came through later in the day uh, and did hop along and drop off some gifts. Um, but it was so far past Easter even having anything to do with Jesus, right? In their brain, it wasn't even connected. School was just really excited because you get candy and you get eggs and you get baskets. And they were disappointed because they got none. Um, but what takes place, though, is that you realize it's so far gone from that moment where it's like, Jesus, what does that have to do with Easter? And just the shortest, quickest version is that moment finds its place all the way back in the first pages of your Bible. The very, very beginning when God creates everything good, right, and beautiful, And in that moment, he creates human beings, places them in the garden, and they're set to reign and rule over creation and reflect God's glory throughout the known world. But human beings, right, the very third chapter of your Bible, the second page in most of yours, human beings choose to rebel against God. And in that moment, that's when fear and loneliness and isolation and abuse and sin come washing into creation. The word death, separation between God and humans and humans and each other and humans in creation and even humans with themselves takes place. And then we start to see, wait a second, human beings have an issue that they can't solve. They have a problem that they can't fix. Uh, hey, just about 10 minutes, well, probably an hour before you guys walked into this room, it was like a, it was like a scene from a cartoon. David could tell you the truth. Uh, I had tested out this baptismal tank yesterday to make sure it didn't leak. And as you'll notice, it's not leaking. Uh, I took my hose from my house, stuck it in there, filled it up a little way just to check the seams because the very first baptism we did here, we did not do that uh, and learned our lesson, just put it that way. Um, And so this time I did it. And so I came in today and I unscrewed it, put the hose out here, set it in there. uh, And as soon as I turned it on, I said, hey, Ken's, is the water going into the tub? And she's like, no. It's like, that's funny. It's been running for like 20 seconds. And we look over there, and there's just a massive puddle. And so I'm like, ah, the connection. Maybe I didn't do it tight enough. So I tighten it, turn it on again, and the hose just starts leaking. I was like, don't worry. Kevin's got a backup. And so I put the backup on there. And then progressively for the next 10 minutes, uh, everything I did, it sprung another leak. Long story short, the hose uh, wasn't just one fix away from being solved. It was actually completely ruined because it had dry rotted the whole way through. And so whenever fresh pressure hit it, a new hole sprung out. And it was just a massive mess. I couldn't solve it with anything I had. I didn't have enough duct tape. Uh, Thankfully, Nick, you can be our Jesus today, uh, had a hose that I could drive over and get, and I just needed a whole new hose. Uh, Human beings were in a place in the garden where they had destroyed God's creation, and it wasn't just a matter of maybe they should put enough duct tape around their lives and around creation, and then they'd be able to solve it, but they needed a whole new being, a whole new way of being human. But God promises that, and he says, one day I'll send a rescuer. One day I'll send a deliverer. One day I will send someone who will make it right. And your whole Old Testament unfolds that promise. And you're left longing and leaning in saying, humans can't fix the problems in themselves. They can't fix the problems in this world. They can't fix the problems in society on their own. What in the world are they going to do? How will this take place? And in steps Jesus 
as the hero of that story. And so the tension starts to build because we watch him walk through life announcing and embodying good news, the kingdom of God is here. Good news in my kingdom, there's no blindness, fixes that dude's eyes, right? Good news, there's no hunger, feeds 5,000 people. Good news, there's no lame and he, he makes the lame walk. Good news, there's no poor and he'd raise up people who couldn't previously work to be able to work again. Good news, there's no loneliness and he'd take the outcasts and bring them to his table. He said, good news, there's no shame and he got those people who thought they were so messy up that God could never love them and he threw them all at one table and threw parties with them and the Romans and the religious murder him for it that's what we look back on Good Friday the day when Jesus is hung on a cross and his friends look on in horror because it's not like he died he actually died and they watched his blood drip down the cross and what we learn as we look back on it is in that moment, God was absorbing all the wrath. He was stripping sin and evil and death of its power. When they look into the empty grave, they find that just as empty as the power sin has now because Jesus broke that. But they didn't know that looking forward. And then when he rises again on the third day, this first word spoken to these women's greetings, and you don't have to fear was a brand new reality that they could now walk in. And Jesus is the hero of the story, not the Romans, not the women, not the soldiers, but Jesus stands alone as the one who had defeated sin. And so when I say sin's defeated, I don't just mean your sins are forgiven, though that's true if you have faith in Jesus, that's absolutely true. What I mean when I say sin is defeated is that the power that sin had, that the curse had from the point when human beings rebelled had been drained of its final say, right? Death was the ultimate say that, that evil seemed to win because people died and stayed dead and that's not the way God created the world to be. But with the resurrection, with Jesus rising again, it shows that he has broken the power of sin. And in other teachings that we do, we talk about them. Why does the world look so jacked up if the power is broken? Uh, we can talk more about that anytime. We just don't have it on today. But hear this good news. Jesus rises. He has paid the debt for sin. And evil has been defeated. And then the third piece of good news that comes out of this story. Good news. New creation is here. Uh, Matthew and John both make sure that as they're telling the story, you know that they're back in a garden on the first day of the week, meant to bring back your mind to that first act of the story where God creates everything good, right, and beautiful in the garden. It's that very first day. It's why worship shifted from Saturday to Sunday. Instead of starting where it used to on Saturday, and that was the day God's people always Sabbath and rested, uh, on the seventh day, as when we do it now, we do it on Sunday, because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead, because like, man, this event really matters. Because we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a place of brokenness, of lost jobs and lost lives, of bills that don't seem to get paid, of debts that we can't come out from underneath, of sicknesses, right? Of isolation, of feelings of loneliness and shame. And so we need this reminder that no, 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 that doesn't have the final say, but new creation is here and it's already bearing fruit. New creation is here because Jesus rose from the dead. So take this, three pieces of really good news. Jesus is the hero of the story, so you don't have to have it all together. 
Jesus is the only one who does. So maybe you just need to exhale and realize that today, that your faith needs to be in him, not your own efforts. Like you can't put enough duct tape around your life, your family, your ministry, your job, whatever it is. You can't put enough duct tape around it that's going to make it work. It's popping leaks more than that hose that I ran over there. But Jesus absolutely can heal what is broken in creation and in us. And in the resurrection, we see he started that. We absolutely see that sin has been defeated. We have been released from the penalty of sin because Jesus took it on himself. So we don't have to walk in shame, but can walk in life. That's really good news. And when we look out at the world and we see all the brokenness, sometimes our mind just goes there and we need this reminder that new creation has come and it's come in us. In fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. That means that as Kenzie stands up in here and says, hey, I believe in Jesus and I'm one of his, as she goes down in that water and comes back up, that's an evidence of new creation. That's why we celebrate. Not because Kenzie's awesome, but because Jesus is, and this is what he's doing in our community. When we see marriages that are being fixed, we celebrate because Jesus is doing something there. When we see people released from addictions, when we see people who used to be really anxious showing up and embracing others, we get excited about that because God's healing things big and small in our lives, and that's evidence one-on-one as we go through life, but then also together as a community. In Matthew 28, uh, we're going to move through this next part pretty fast, but uh, it says the guards report, it might say on yours. And it says, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say, the disciples came in the night, stole them while you were asleep, and if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Basically, here's the money, tell the lie, we got your back. Which is amazing that this is written in the Bible, which is like the most published book ever, um, to let you know exactly what their plan was, right? Like that's um, kind of like in football, we uh, run these plays for, I showed them your play, right? Here's the thing, every coach that coaches I-9 gets the same exact playbook. And so there's this, there's a part of it where you're coaching it and you're allowed on the field in I-9 football, which is what I coach for Caden. So all the players, especially all the first-year coaches, literally have all the same plays. So when you watch people line up as a coach, you have a choice to make. Do you say, hey, guys, this is the play they're running because we run the same one? Or do you let the kids try to figure it out? Um, it's amazing that Matthew draws all this out. and He says, uh, so the soldiers took the money, did as they were instructed, and this story has been circulated until among the Jews until this very day. I love that Matthew, especially for the first century, just basically put their play out there and said, hey, here's what happened, guys. Let me just tell you where this lie came from that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. They paid off a few guys who were scared laying on the ground, told them to tell a lie if anybody asked, and then the governor had their back. He lets them know this is exactly what took place. Jesus absolutely did rise, and that's a really bad play you're running if everybody knows the playbook. So what do we do? Big story, massive implications, three small things. One, we humbly receive grace. The invitation for us tonight, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years, five minutes, or you're just on the border of that right now, is to receive grace humbly. There are no proud people at the foot of the cross but rather we look and see the grace that Jesus gives us the guilt that he has stripped away, the shame that evaporates, the life that he now gives, and we receive it. 
Uh, that's one of the few words used for the kingdom of God. We don't advance the kingdom of God. We don't build the kingdom of God. We actually receive it is the most used metaphor. It's given to us. Uh, secondly, we boldly live in hope. And I want to use those two words together, boldly and hope. We don't have to wonder, man, is Jesus really going to show up or has he done what he said he was done? Maybe some of the lies, maybe not of the first Roman soldiers, but of our culture have gotten into our brains where we're like, man, it feels secondary that we believe in Jesus. So maybe we should keep that off to our side in a little bit of corner. That's my private view. That's my private opinion. But my whole life gets lived differently. And what this text invites us into is saying, no, no, no. The fact that the resurrection happened means like it's a new day dawning and there's light coming over the horizon. And you're not crazy for saying there's the sun. You're not crazy for saying this is what life is now like because Jesus rose from the dead. You're not crazy for staking everything from your vocations to your vacations on the reality that Jesus has lived and died and rose again and brought you into his family. We get to live together boldly with hope that the God who has done everything he has said he would do in this story still says there's an act coming in it when he will return and make all things new. Boldly live with hope. And then lastly, we lovingly live on mission together. The words of Matthew continue. Uh, then the disciples went to Galilee on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Again, Jesus isn't afraid of those two, fear and faith. He's not afraid of afraid of them together. There's doubt and they're worshiping. Many of us find ourselves in that anytime that we're in the face of Jesus, we're like, hey, Jesus, I fully get you. And also I kind of don't. And that's what faith is, is putting it in on Jesus who resurrected anyway. Um, and he says, all authority, Jesus says this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the work that we're doing today in our lives, in our homes, among our community, in the city of Mesa, and beyond wherever you come from, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a continuation of this very commission. Uh, the work of seeing people brought into the family and baptized with a new identity, uh, not an old name, but a new one that says, I belong to Jesus. I'm a part of the Jesus community. I believe that new life is possible in the spirit. I believe I have a role to play in God's story. I believe that sins are forgiven. And I believe that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the work that we do even today is a continuation and another way that we can say, Jesus is the hero. Sins are gone. New creation is here. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I pray that as we're reminded of the goodness of your grace, that it stirs with up within us hope again that it stirs up within us faith again, that it stirs up and prompts love, that we can see our feet firmly planted on the events that took place. The good news is true. Would you continue to give us faith and courage to walk in that? 
And we ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit, amen. Amen. Uh, one of the ways that we respond to grace is through uh, coming to baptism. That's a, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing most, for most of us. Um, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But every week we return to another thing that Jesus gave us, and that's the table. Uh, it's a way to remember that in bread and juice or bread and wine, that Jesus' own body was broken so that we might live. That him being the hero of the story came at a great cost, but there's also a free invitation to any who would respond to the good news. And so we come to the table and in this place, we see once again that God calls a family to himself, not just individuals. And that he sustains us on the journey of following him, a nourishing not just with bread and juice or bread and wine, but also with community and the spirit. But we come to the table and tonight it's at the foot of the cross. I invite you uh, over the next song to come and take either the juice that's on your left-hand side or the wine that's on your right-hand side, a piece of the bread. And then on your own, take that in remembrance of Jesus, declaring that in his life, death, and resurrection, that is our hope. That's perfect. All right, Missio Mesa, for our benediction, um, I want to... Instead of read a scripture over you, I would actually like to give you seven promises of the resurrection as we leave. And so would you open up your hands and receive this as a benediction, these seven promises. And after I read each one, I would love for you to, to shout or, or aggressively say amen, okay? Promise number one, Jesus is risen. Peace claims our core. Hope defines our future. Grace is the air we breathe. Joy is the music of our dance. Freedom is our status and calling. All things new is our secure inheritance. May you go satisfied by the richness of Jesus' resurrection this week. Go in peace.